Welcome to Superhuman Action Heroes, where we chat with leading thinkers, culture changers, and industry disruptors, exploring their personal experiences and getting their advice on addressing the challenges that women face. So today we have the lovely and wonderful science and wildlife presenter, Liz Bonin, to talk to us on Superhuman Action Heroes. Welcome. Thank, thank, you, for for, thank you for having me. Oh, Delighted. Excellent. We're going to talk today about your past and your history and how you got to be the amazing presenter that you are today, um, a little bit about your journey. It'd be great to start off by talking about where your passion for documentaries actually came from. I never planned to be in television. Really? So, yeah, I, it's not something I ever thought of when I was growing up. All I know is that my passion for the natural world definitely started when I was really young. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up in the south of France, in the, in the hills um, above Nice, and we, myself and my sister, were always outdoors with our two dogs, and there were hedgehogs and snakes and insects and all sorts of nonsense, and it was so much fun, and we would just go off on adventures um, every day. I remember staring at little birds for long periods of time, wondering how their little brains worked, you know, how their little heartbeats, you know, how, how, how something so incredibly tiny could be so perfect. Mm. So I know that that instilled in me a curiosity for all living things. Yeah. And so loved science at school, loved biology and chemistry and combined the two um, in my undergrad, you know, studied biochemistry because I wanted to understand how every living thing worked down to the chemical equations. So that was kind of the trajectory. Mm-hmm. And then when I finished biochemistry, um, I fell into television in Ireland when I was taking the year out. You know, everybody knows everybody in Ireland. So I uh, started doing TV and kind of entertainment and, and factual. And I had some great producers who taught me how to tell a story. Yep. Cutting a long story short, I suppose, um, I eventually went back and did a master's in wild animal mm. biology, but thought, oh, if I could tell stories about the things that I'm really passionate about, wouldn't that be yeah. fun? So I just put feelers out and I was in the right place at the right time and all sorts of crazy, fateful things happened. And, and here I am today. Yeah, it's mad. It is amazing. Um, I mean, obviously, um, I mean, I know you, you're a lovely friend of mine, but also, I mean, I remember seeing you on the TV in the early 2000s and late 90s, yeah. you know, pre-science. Yeah. How How do you... How do you get from that environment to the environment you are today? Because I think if you're a person who is, you know, in a career where you're like, I'm just not sure about what I'm doing. Well, how do you know when you're going like, I'm going to give this up? Because you were in a place that lots of people would have loved to have been, actually. You know, that's a really good question. It's only when people ask me um, that I kind of take stock and realise it makes me understand myself more. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because... I'm a workaholic and a lot of my friends and you might even agree you know might say I'm a bit of a control freak and I like things to be just so and I'm quite you know kind of strong uh hard-headed in one way you know what you like but in, <laughs> I know what I like right Sandra, you know that but um but in another way when I was younger I sort of drifted from one thing to the other without putting myself under too much pressure and when I go to schools now you know giving science talks yeah. I sort of uh, give advice to kids not to uh, stress out too much about you know having to know what you're going to do for the yeah. rest of your life. Sometimes the teachers are, are slightly frowning at me, but I really wholeheartedly encourage. You know, life is short, yeah. but it's it's to be you know explored and try out different things. So when I fell into entertainment TV, I was having a ball, but it, and I just thought this is an adventure, mm. and I knew I'd always go back to science, but I was just you know enjoying it. And then it came to a point where. I wasn't enjoying it anymore and I really didn't know what 
to do and mm. how to go about doing it. But I went traveling. I went to, uh, to Patagonia mm. and I went trekking by myself for seven hours. And I'll never forget the moment uh, when I was standing at the top of this mountain and I went, right, that's it. I'm ready. I'm going back to school. I want to learn more about the planet. I want to learn more about animals. Um, and yes, I've saved a bit of money from my entertainment TV presenting work mm. and that's what's going to get me through school and after that we'll find we'll figure it out yeah so that was that was all I, kn- I knew I was going to do beyond that I had no idea yeah um so looking back it was just sort of well I mean I did I I, I did um look up the agents of some of my favorite presenters uh in wildlife and science on television and met a few of them while I was starting my master's and you know I, I put the feelers out going mm. you know I'd like to maybe continue this as well but in the field I'm really passionate about so there was no I'm not a five-year plan person yeah there was no mapping it out or any kind of structure to it in that sense even though when I approach my work I'm very structured and very diligent you know I really like to swat and you know read all the papers but when it came to where I wanted to be and how I was going to get there I pretty much had no clue I just kind of floated along <laughs> and and enjoyed the journey yeah I can say that looking back you know I, it's, it's strange it's so isn't it? brave I mean like is it's, it yeah, yeah I feel like it is like I feel like you know I don't know it doesn't feel brave to me I was so unhappy with what I was doing I mean I wasn't miserable but what I mean is I I was so ready I so knew that I didn't want to be in the entertainment mm. television realm anymore I wasn't enjoying it it wasn't making me joyful I got to the point where I'm not enjoying this anymore. So I knew I had to do something else. And then traveling is the best medicine, isn't it? It just yeah. sort of resets all the batteries and immersing yourself in nature sorts of, sort of sets you up and um, inspires you for the next, the next stage yeah. of your life. It wasn't all easy. I didn't just breeze through it all, you know, and, and, and I had moments of self-doubt, definitely. But some way, somehow, it just sort of all worked itself yeah. out <laughs> in, a, in not a very structured yeah. or planning kind of way it's it's interesting isn't it because um there's there's something quite I think it's quite brave but if you know we talk about this bit it feels quite right to follow the the breadcrumbs or the nuggets yeah I'm more aware of that now Mm. as I'm older when I was younger I don't think I was even conscious of that I got to a stage where I was when I was older where I I thought too much about everything worried too much about everything but at that stage in my life I wasn't worrying too much about everything and maybe that's why I was imperceptibly following life's breadcrumbs without even really realizing what I was doing yeah. you know maybe that's actually you know an interesting point you made that I didn't think of before but I think it's only when life challenges you that you suddenly have to go hang on a minute why have I lost the ability to find the simple things yeah. that bring me joyful and you know my instinct told me to get out there and get into nature yeah yeah that bit I knew the rest was like I was struggling here I was I was I don't know what to do where am I gonna you know go next I'm you know, but and and some friends were saying to me, "But what are you doing? Entertainment television is it? You know, you could make a lot of money. Or you're you know, you're pretty established." Um, but yeah, nature, nature, wow. nature, nature. It does its thing. So, do you remember the first documentary ever created in your in your new world, science presenter? Well, I mean, I remember that I started with Bango's The Theory. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was sort of a, ma- a science magazine show. Yeah, and I have to say you know looking back on that program and everything I've done since that was the perfect starting point um I was so lucky to get that job as the first one in Mm. you know science and and natural history programming because I was surrounded by gorgeous fabulous lovely co-presenters and a fantastic series producer slash editor 
a guy called Dermot Caulfield, who was again very encouraging in the way that one producer before had been about, you know, make, so make the story. How are you going to tell this story? And I was like, I don't know. And she had put all her trust in me. And Dermot was very much like that. He was very encouraging with respect to what you want to tell. Oh, I want to tell this story about physics. And he'd go, right, well, here's your team. Go ahead and do it. And it was a, an amazing training ground. Yeah. Really supportive, really fun, really exciting. A new venture. It was a brand new series. Yeah. We had a ball. And it really set me up for loving telling stories about the natural world. It, yeah. was, it was the perfect... Uh, springboard platform training yeah. ground it was yeah. brilliant yeah that's such an interesting skill to have to be able to I, and I hadn't thought about it like that before that it's you know what you're really doing is is you're in a you're, you're not just a narrator you're a storyteller oh totally yeah so totally. How, do, how do you do it like and what's well, the I have no idea <laughs> It's, it's years and years of, of being guided by fabulous people like, you know, Dermot and many other producers mm. I've worked with since and people in the NHU, the Natural History Unit, who are just extraordinary and passionate. You learn, you learn from them. Um, I guess the extra challenge, particularly with Bangos, the theory was that, um, I mean, the natural world is beautifully complex. And when people say, well, science is very difficult, it's just because science is a way of explaining the natural world and the natural world is incredibly, stupendously, wondrously complex mm. so to tell those stories about the natural world to a 7 30 p.m audience was it seven o'clock or 7 30 i can't remember but you know family audience mm. having their tea was the most amazing training ground because you've got to delve in really deep to understand the complexity of what you're going to tell mm. and then you have to simplify it in a way that's still correct but entertaining mm. with a really nice narrative and i learned how to be a good storyteller with that with that training ground as i said and um narratively it's it's one of my skills that my peers now recognize in me um and and to yeah it, it's really it's really enjoyable yeah. i find it really enjoyable yeah but you've got to go in deep you've got to read those really difficult scientific papers yeah. sometimes and I, I i see that as a a wonderful challenge but that's all i can say about how how you do it it's all i can say is it's what makes me interested how yeah. do i want to tell a story you know it has to make sense but you know what? You're also telling the story of the natural world, which is fascinating in itself. Yeah. So in one way, I'm not, you know, because I've got the most wonderful template. Yeah, right. In right. one way, perhaps that makes it easier. But also, I mean, I think your passion comes through as well. You know, like I think about, we'll talk about drowning in plastic in a minute, but like, you know, your passion on screen makes everyone else feel that. Like, is there's Thank a real... You. Oh, Thank sorry. you. Thank <laughs> you. I am. I, I, yeah. And it's, again, I think it's only when I do things like this, you know, yeah. when I do interviews and people mention my sort of, I'm quite an emotional fish. I think that might come across sometimes, particularly in Drowning in Plastic, not in every program am I a blubbering mess. But um, I guess I am really passionate. I, it is really hard to put into words how certain experiences I've had make one feel, how, the, how wildlife and, yeah, how just, how wildlife, wild animals, wild places make you feel. But because of the things I've seen and the, animal behaviors I've seen and, and because I've realized just how extraordinary this planet is in a way that blows your mind I and mean, mm. you couldn't dream up some of the things that are going on beneath the waves in the middle of nowhere as we go about our daily lives it's blown my little mind <laughs> and it keeps on blowing my mind and I think that's why I've, I'm passionate because I it again nature does things yep. to you that's why I, w I wish if it was possible you know that every single human being could just be you know picked up from wherever they are and then plopped in the middle of mm -hmm. a herd of elephants in Botswana and just 
well, maybe not, not in the middle of the road, but like, <laughs> is that safe? So I, aside from her, just observe them for hours, mm. you know, it does something to you forever that um, makes you realise your place on, on this earth, your place in the universe, how beautifully inconsequential we are, yeah. and, you know, irrelevant we are really in the scheme of things and how amazing other animals are. And yeah, it changes you forever. So I hope that comes across in the stories I tell, yeah. And what about, I mean... You know, I know that you've been into some pretty challenging environments. What's been the most challenging documentary you've done? For different reasons, mm. different ones have been challenging. You know, you'll you'll do something live from Alaska in a tiny, tiny camp where there is, you know, the, the bare the bare minimum really, and no hardly any tech, and you're only in contact with base through a satellite phone that gets cut off every three minutes, and you're trying to make a show, and it's pelting down with rain and there are bears around you in this little tent with an electric fence, electric, you know, string really. Um, and it's, it's, it's incredibly exhilarating. Are you ever and scared? thrilling. I think I'm, I'm stupidly naive. <laughs> I'm so blown away by the animals. And, you know, I always know that we're in good hands as well with our, you know, the scientists, the rangers, whoever we're with, you know, mm. being with the BBC, you are always with the, the best team. So you put your trust in you know, in, in them with regards to your safety. And then the rest of it is just, you know, your eyes are popping out of your head because you're seeing a mama bear with her two cubs just strolling past your camp, you know, literally a foot or well, a meter away, you know. Yeah. And she's just looking at you because you're in one of the wildest places on earth. And this particular place, Katmai National Park, hunting's been banned for, for you know, decades and decades. Yeah. So those experiences are, are challenging in themselves. And then, you know, the kind of, and then you have to like report live and be, you know, hopefully slick, <laughs> as slick as you can be. And then there are just more extreme environments, minus 40, you know, in a place that looks like Narnia, but you've got to get a program done about tigers and it's tough and you're getting stuck. Your cars are getting stuck in the snow every day and it's relentless. And but again, you know, the wild places you're in are are thrilling. The most difficult thing I've ever done was abseiling down a magma chamber in Galapagos. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, half the first 15 meters was a beautiful sort of funnel shaped almost like a rainforest environment. It was green and lush and really poetic and beautiful. And then the second 50 metres was down this craggy, overhanging, rocky thing that I don't think we should ever have gone down. <laughs> and uh, we were told, whatever you do, get out of that hole before it gets dark. And of course, it was pitch black by the time we <sighs> finally be, were able, we were able to scramble out of the hole. And I remember at the end of that thinking, that was a bit much for me. I am not yeah. a, a gung-ho adventurer like some of my colleagues are. You know, I'm... I don't know, some people call me an adventurer in, in the press and I'm like, yeah, you've got that wrong. I don't know how I ended up down that hole, you know. It's all relative, babe. It's all relative. <laughs> it's so funny the things you say yes to yeah. and you end up thinking to yourself, yeah, this is not me. But, um, so, you know, there's different different types of challenges with yeah. my job. Yeah. Um, all of them build character, I'm sure. But um, yeah. I had a really ropey dive once as well, you know, yeah. really, a really tough, dangerous dive. So, yeah, I've... I've run the gamut of all sorts of different challenges and how do you put your boundaries in place i am learning to put my boundaries in place sandra you know i am yeah it's a really good question i i I think as we get older particularly as women Mm. we can go one of two ways we never learn certain lessons in life where we begin to learn them and i'm really enjoying learning how to do that Mm. learning to speak up for myself learning what i need to be healthy yeah. and stay strong in my job and continue to do this until the day I die because I'm not I am not retiring that's no. not the plan and I did burn out 
Mm. You know, about two and a half years ago, I burnt out. I was saying yes to everything. I wanted to please everyone. Mm. I was on a massive, beautiful, but very difficult hamster wheel. And then my back, well, first of all, my sort of my, psychologically, I was feeling the stress, but I didn't listen to that and uh, kept on working, working, working. And then my back, my lower back just physically just told me to stop. And I had to cancel two shoots in Africa. And of course, I was still torturing myself about, you know, what that meant. I couldn't let people down. But it was the most amazing, fabulous thing, despite the pain to ever have happened to me. Because from that point on, I've been on this amazing journey that's, made me yeah know myself more and know how to say no more Mm -hmm. uh, without feeling like nobody's ever going to love me again you know I want everyone to like me all that nonsense that we're all we're all guilty of in our lives but certainly women more so I feel yeah I think you might agree yeah Um, absolutely and so I'm I'm in a really good place now where I feel very empowered by testing the waters ever so gingerly, still a little bit scared of, you know, pushing back a little Mm. and getting a lovely response from Mm. people I work, the world around me. It works. It's, it's good. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm a work in progress, but I'm getting better at it to be better for my, it's not just pushing back to be contrary or difficult Mm. and just thinking about yourself. It's actually pushing back so that everything you do and everybody you work with benefits from you being, a, a, a healthier person both mentally and physically yeah, yeah. and the best ver- so, version of you the best version yeah. of me means everybody gets a better hopefully performance and a better show I mean I'm just about to go to Australia mm. um to do Blue Planet Live where I so drew the short straw because Chris Packham and Steve Backshall are in wonderful places in the world the Bahamas and Baja Mexico and they get to get up at a very decent hour to, to transmit live to the UK for 8 p.m whereas we have to get up our call time for the live is going to be 2.30 a.m. Ah. to do the tech rehearsals <laughs> and then go live by 6. Yeah. And then British summertime also happens during that long week. So on our last show, we've got to get up and be ready for 1.30 yeah. a.m. And it's really everything that I've learned in the last two and a half years since mm. kind of the burnout and my journey, the journey. Mm. I, I, I'm a bit allergic to the journey because I say it a lot on television. A lot of my shows go, I'm Miss Bonin and I'm on a journey and I can't stand it. And also <laughs> the personal journey is relevant here. But um, I'm calling on everything I've learned uh, to do a good job and to not crash and burn live on TV at 6am. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's the, definitely the hardest, most demanding schedule I've ever done. Yeah. We're almost laughing. I just had a conference call there with the guys and we're, we, you have to laugh it off. Yeah. We're going to admire the stars and drink a lot of caffeine <laughs> and we'll get through it. But I'm reading my yoga mat and yeah. I'm going to do my meditations and I'm going to take care of myself and hopefully do a good job. Well, you beautifully preempted my next question, which is how do you keep sane? Yeah. And how yeah. do you look after yourself? I mean, you know, um, in those environments where you're under a lot of pressure, it must be hard to keep your cool and, and do the best you can. Yeah, I've definitely been challenged in that respect in the past. What I'm noticing about what I'm planning to take on this trip, each trip gets better and better, I've noticed, Mm. with respect to how I'm preparing myself. Mm. Everything from this lovely organic sleep spray Mm -hmm. that I put on my pillow to a mat and stretch bands so I can do some yoga, I can meditate, to some healthy organic superfood powders that you just mix up in, you know, almond milk or coconut Mm -hmm. milk. Um, so So really not to drink... Uh, gallons of coffee because actually that makes you crash and burn right yeah um to journaling to giving myself my little pep talks and just to making a decision to be more positive 
despite the challenges that we're, we're faced with. So in a way, it's almost strange that, I, you know, as I continue to sort of improve how I can be, mm. how I can cope and, and manage all of these situations, this really hard job comes up and you're like, oof, yeah. okay, this is the biggest test of all. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, as much as I'm still guilty of moaning a little bit, even to my bosses sometimes about it, 2 a.m., guys, I mean, come on, you know. Mostly I'm almost relishing the opportunity to really step up and... Um, sh- not prove to myself. It's not. It's nothing. It's not, not as it, aggressive it, as that. But just to really step up and be. Yep, I'm, I've got this, and I'm going to really make the most of it. Well, it's an opportunity to put all that stuff into practice in a, a properly challenging environment. It really is. <laughs> so, I mean, part of me wonders: Do I need that test? I think you know, I'm really quite good, everyone. But no, it's it's what it is. I'm very blessed to be doing what I'm doing, and yeah. going, and those scientists that we've got lined up. I'm so excited. Like I was working on them this afternoon, and I'm giddy with the excitement of meeting these in- I mean they're they're heroes to me yeah. scientists in the field are my heroes and so to get to chat to them in that realm and they're all getting up at the same time or we'll all you know yeah. muddle in together and and laugh our way through it and have a great time that is a real privilege so. yeah yeah I know that's so cool um I want to talk to you a little bit about drowning in plastic because it was so monumental yeah. and it's it's had such an incredible impact on the UK and globally hasn't it I mean it's been a it's been incredible hasn't it? it the response has been amazing it's not because of drowning in plastic per se it's a combination of things mm-hmm. isn't it it's a combination of factors not least the zeitgeist yeah you know there's there's only so much you can ignore what the planet is telling you yeah. um you know and when you think about the you know Greta Thunberg that amazing little 16 year old from Sweden and what she's the 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 charge she's leading she really inspires me so there's all sorts of different things happening isn't there within the sort of climate change realm and pollution realm um and then Blue Planet 2 sort of decided to really Mm. tackle it head on that caused a reaction here in the UK so it was the right time and we were, I was very lucky to be hired to complement that and to yeah. continue with that and really tell the public, look, this is exact. This is really what's going on in the oceans. So yeah, the response has been great. It it really compelled me to continue the conversation as an individual, and that's been really interesting. Yeah, I was in Northern Ireland for the science festival this weekend and gave a talk on plastics and what I've learned and where, as an individual, I. I needed to go, sort of what I needed to learn just mm. as an individual. How, how, what can I do now to be part of the solution? Because we really focused on the oceans. We didn't focus mm. so much on sort of why has nobody done really done something to solve this crisis? Yeah. So I was very conscious that I stood there on this huge stage. I was really tiny on this huge stage in this big audience, sort of really hitting them with really full on facts. Mm-mm. And, you know, as a communicator, we are, tr- as communicators, we're trained to sort of you can't be wagging the finger and ranting at yeah. people because, you know, they'll switch off and there's only so much people can take. But oh, I just, I felt like I had to say everything I needed to say that I had learned yeah. during the shoot and post. Yeah. And um, the reaction was amazing. And I got very emotional at one point because people just started applauding to something I said. And I hope it wasn't my ego getting all, you know, up myself. But um, I felt like I'm, I'm, I got through to people. Yeah because I really told them the reality of what's going on and, and what's stopping this crisis from being solved still, despite what we know is going on in our oceans. I always, I think I've said it to you before, yeah, over yeah. a drink, you know, as I I was planning in my 50s, 60s, 70s to kind of be that per- one of these people between environmentalists and conservation organizations and, I guess, big industry and, yeah. and, and global leaders to help communicate the real sticking points um, so that we can enforce change quick, more quickly. Yeah. That was sort of the plan, you know, when I'm older and yeah. more authoritative. And 
I was given this opportunity to do the plastics documentary and all of that has begun to happen. And I feel very grateful, a little bit sort of apprehensive about the task. Yeah. But um, all in all, you know, as I say, there's this zeitgeist that, you know, people are hungry for yeah. information and they want to feel empowered and they want to be part of the solution. So I'm just a, one of the pawns in that whole big mess of a puzzle mm -hmm. that is, you know, trying to solve our, our, envir our environmental problems. Um, and hopefully I'll help to say it as it is yeah so that um we can be absolutely clear about where the obstacles lie and how we can play a part in in uh removing them but i suppose also you know you were talking earlier about your storytelling abilities and your ability to convey emotion you know there's never been a time where big business is needed to listen as they do now absolutely. i mean if you can use those skills to actually get through to those businesses and if not to them to the people that buy their products i mean that surely has got to be you know, the end game, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 there's an interesting line to tread because I'm a BBC communicator. Yeah. You know, we, we do have to and should pride ourselves in being unbiased and just yeah. delivering the information. But we're delivering this kind of information about the natural world at a time where the obstacles to all of these environmental yeah. issues, you know, end up being fairly obvious and fairly similar and yep. so it's an interesting one you know I, I'm not going to lobby I'm not going no. to get very political and yet as an individual I can't I can't walk away without continuing to continuing to communicate the things that are ma that matter that touch upon those well very heavily stamp on those yeah. uh, areas so um, I'm figuring it out yeah. you know it's an interesting one and, and funnily enough so I've got a lot of a lot of talks lined up this year on plastics and I'm continually, continually updating the talk because, mm. you know, some, some things are shifting. But interestingly, some members of, you know, the big industry mm. world are asking me to come in now to right. talk to their staff. And I'm cautiously approaching some of those opportunities because absolutely it's important to, just, to be part of that discussion. Mm. You know, you don't blacklist the people you think might be playing a, a big part in the problem. You just, you have to continue talking yeah. um, with them. So hopefully I can be of use that, there too. I'm learning as I go. I have half the time. I wonder if I have any idea how to negotiate this new area of my career. Mm. But again, I'm just following the breadcrumbs, following the breadcrumbs <laughs> step by step, Sandra, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what's really interesting when you think about um, drowning in plastic is, how much personal responsibility people take. I mean, I definitely, when I was watching that documentary, was like, I'm looking around my house and all I can see is plastic in every direction. And I was talking to my daughter, who's nine, and, and she was sort of saying, but mum, like, the school chairs are made of plastic and the boards are made of Like, what do we do? I can't, I, I don't know how to stop this. I mean, have you... Have you any advice or any thoughts for kids and for people who want to make some small changes in their lives? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, it's a very um, natural reaction. Secondly, the UK has really sort of rallied around and, and um, re responded to this in, a, in, a, in an amazing way, in a really inspirational way, more so than many other countries. Mm. Unfortunately, many other countries aren't even playing a blind bit of attention to this. And, and so I think what's really important is not to become overwhelmed and not to feel like the entire weight of, of this crisis is on our shoulders mm. as individuals, because it's not. Mm. Um, we are consumers and we have a voice 
but we're also with regards to sort of the this 40% of the plastic that's made is is a single use packaging that imperceptibly began to infiltrate our supermarkets mm. without us ever demanding them you know mm. there is you have to remember that it's not our fault per se i mean mm. globally as a species yes there's no point pointing the finger either we're all in this together mm. but my take on it is you know you you give up your takeaway coffee cups you never use a straw again you can certainly get completely in the habit of using a reusable cloth bag mm. at the beginning i would forget you know years ago and, and you just get into that habit and it's very easy there's so many easy things you can do to mm. change your behavior there's a great thing that i saw on social media a family i think the school organizer they do this monthly plastic audit so everything they buy that's got plastic they collect in bags and then they do this cute little bar chart and they mm. go that was toiletries that was fruit that was cereal, that was this, that, and the other. Mm. And then they see which bar is higher that month and they make a decision to reduce. So, for example, I've changed my deodorant to a cardboard mm-hmm. organic deodorant. So, you know, what, one change every couple of weeks. So keep on adding to what you can do. And thankfully, there's so much online. Yeah. But here's the thing. After that, for a long time, I felt, right, you know what? Too much of the onus is on the individual. Too much of this pressure is on us mm. to sort of change everything. We can't change this unless the plastics industry stops mm. manufacturing new virgin plastic and putting it everywhere, which they're still doing. And by the way, projections keep increasing, regardless of what we now know. That's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, let me give you a really terrifying stat. 300 million tons of plastic are being made, is being made every year. That's set to increase to 500 million tonnes by 2050. <laughs> Petrochemicals, you know, the fossil industry and then you know, the petrochemical factories that come from that to make the raw materials for plastic are increasing at a, cra- at a crazy rate. You know, they're still building them. They're spending tens of billions of dollars in making new plastic. So the reality is we're not, you know, by giving up straws and plastic bags, we're not going to solve this. Also, not all plastic is this... Um, this material to be condemned mm. the plastic that makes your computers your window frames yes your chairs and tables you know it's not the plastic that's going to be thrown away straight away yeah. but 40 percent is single use and yeah. that's the stuff that we can tackle now yeah. aside from not putting ourselves under t- under too much pressure as individuals mm. i always thought there's only so much we can do mm. as individuals to stop this 40 percent single use plastic mess the rest has to come from industry they've got to stop making it and so we're in a pickle here because it's their fault. But actually what I'm learning, the more I speak to experts is we have more clout than we think. Absolutely. With regards to how we can make our voices heard. And it's not that overwhelming and it's not that difficult. So when I give talks, I always say, continue with changing your plastic behaviors, follow a nonprofit organization that's really leading the way with regards to changing, you know, the our plastic consumption there are lots online you know Mm -hmm. i personally really love a plastic planet i think they're really proactive they consult with government and with industry Mm. you know on change because it's not to say you know global leaders and big industry are all just evil you know they're looking to find solutions too unfortunately economic growth monetary gain and politics tend to get in the way but there are you know we're all individuals we're all human beings and most of us do want change in in any sector but following an organization like that or any other that yeah. you like, and these days online, it's so easy, you know, yeah. you Google, you check out yeah. ones you like, and then you follow, you, you continue to keep your finger on the pulse as an individual about what's going on and what else you yeah. can do. And you can see where the you know, progress is happening. It's really ins- inspiring, actually. 
um, to follow people like that and to see what they're doing. And then after that, my two absolute favorite things, which I know will chip away at mm. things because that's what the experts are telling me mm-hmm. is at the end of one particular panel I had at the Royal Geographical Society, I, I said, if there's one thing we can all do, tell the audience, what is it? And they all went right to your MP. Mm-hmm. So it means you write a template letter yep. asking for an outright ban on all single use plastic, because by the way, Costa Rica is banning all single use plastic by 2021. Why can't we in this yeah. country? There's still talk of all these incremental changes, all this tokenism. The ocean doesn't have that long. Mm-hmm. So you write that letter or you ask for a, an outright ban on all of our dirty plastic to Southeast Asia, which is another disaster. Yeah. They're talking about banning it by 2030. I'm sorry, that's far too late. And then you, you send that letter every single week. Imagine if every single person in this country did that. Yeah. We would get changed so much more quickly because what I hear is behind closed doors industry and governments are going oh they won't let up with certain areas i'm yeah. not talking about plastic in particular but yeah. that's how you you make your voice heard until they respond yeah so i think that's a really really good one to do yeah and then the last one is when you're in the supermarket and you've got all your reusable bags you decant those organic tomatoes that you really do want but they're not loose but they're in a plastic Mm-mm. punnet and you leave all your plastic packaging your cauliflower thing your avocado yeah. wrapper at the till with a big smile on your face yeah lots of people are doing it more and more people are doing it every day yeah and all the staff so far are like yeah give it here you're not the first yeah and they understand yeah that's telling the retailers sort it out sort it out yeah yeah you know? so it's funny because obviously superhuman is a communications agency we're all about championing the consumer and working with brands you know the, the the more that, you know, as consumers, we use our voice and our pound or our dollar, you know, the more this is going to be changed. So, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer really, isn't it? It is. When I thought it was more complicated than that, and let's not get too simplistic, yeah. okay? If, if, you know, to solve all of our world's issues, <laughs> we've a long way to go in one way. But, but I think that bit of, of, of how much clout we have, I don't think we realised how much of a result we could get by those individual actions. Yeah. And I think if each and every one of us just stopped at those four changes, yeah. we could create change like we never imagined we could. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me if I'm an activist. I'm not an activist. Plus, activism has been given a bad name from both camps, mm. right? I am a human being on this planet who wants to see it yeah. thrive. I want to see a healthy, beautiful planet. And after everything I've seen just as an individual, just as a person, I want to play my part in making the world around me as beautiful as it can be. That's all I'm doing. So, you know, it would be very easy for those against this kind of change because of maybe Mm. monetary interest to pull people like me into that, oh, activist, slightly aggravated lady ranting about things. But I'm really not. And I refuse to be labeled with that Mm. because all I'm doing is trying to make a healthier planet for me and all my friends and all my family yeah. and all the, all the generations coming up after us. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, I think the idea that somehow that you're some mad, crazy firebrand <laughs> activist is to undermining your message. I mean, nobody's, nobody's really done that yet. Maybe they'll start doing still it. Uh, yeah. The more I'm sort of getting into this, these conversations because this is relatively new for me. Yeah. But I've seen it happen to other individuals who, re- who really are only looking to create a, a sustainable future for us all on this planet. And so 
I want to, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, kind of aware, wary of, of what's ahead. The more I sort of just want yeah. to share what I'm learning. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, but they're I'm, always going to be haters. And do you know what the great thing yeah. is? The next generation up, they are, you know, like, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the girl. Who's Greta a Thunberg. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they are, you know, they absolutely understand it. You know, they understand the urgency. So, you know, they're always going to be haters. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm not bothered by it. No. I think I want to, as part of the conversation, I want to encourage mm. or discourage what is part of our society, which is to box people in certain boxes, mm. call them certain things, define them by certain things. Um, so as I continue on with this journey of mine, when I'm literally learning every day, that has to be part of the conversation about what people are saying about Greta, what people are saying about communicators like myself, what people said about Chris Packham and his yeah. walk for wildlife or his... Um, you know, campaigning against grouse shooting, etc. You know, it's um, important to keep talking about how interesting it is that yeah. certain people will then place you as a sort of radical, yeah. slightly irrational, crazy person who likes to hug trees. You know, all of that is so, is so silly to me. Yeah. You know, um, all I yeah, all I am is a person trying to have a lovely future. Really, that's all I'm trying to do. It's not too much task. It's not it? really, is it? <laughs> So, Liz, what's next? What, what have you got planned for the next six months to Well, year? I'm about to, to go to Australia, yeah. to the Great Barrier Reef, which is every day there's news about that place that just oh. uh, makes me so sad. So it's going to be quite a bittersweet experience to be there again when this flood has swamped just north of where we're, of where we're going with all of this runoff full of chemicals. The Australian government is planning to dump a whole load of sludge on the reef, which I, I couldn't, I thought it was a joke headline. Um, and then of course we know um, that the reef has experienced two massive coral bleaching events in 2016, 2017. So um, it's a beautiful place, but it, my God, is it bowing under the pressure yeah. of, our, of our modern world. So that's the next thing. It's live. I'll be up at 2 a.m. Hurrah! And uh, hopefully we'll deliver an inspirational, um, but factually, potentially a little bit uh, more harrowing program because there's there's nowhere around it. But also I'm, I'm proudly, when we're talking about our narrative, it's, it's for me about standing shoulder to shoulder with these scientists who are day in, day out, while we go about our daily mm. business, our daily lives, just fighting yeah. with every cell in their bodies to protect these wild places. Yeah. So I want to celebrate them and, yeah, humanise them and put them on a massive pedestal yeah. as much as I can. So that's that's the plan. Um, in, it goes out on the end, at the end of March, four programmes over a week. And then, and then I start the meat documentary, mm -hmm. Sandra. So it's all about the environment this year. Yeah. And then hopefully an animal behavior program at the end of the year Amazing. in the autumn. That's good. But I'm giving more talks as well. So excellent. I'm trying to be on the ground more to, to share what I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a big part of what I do. I think it needs to be a big part of what I do. Yeah. yeah. I love listening to uh, the different aspects of your career and see how they all come together around storytelling and giving things that are difficult to understand a really simple beautiful voice you see it much more clearly than i do do you know what i mean i'm like what is yeah. that what i'm doing is that yeah, what totally. how did that happen and how did i get here i have no idea but uh really and truly it's when i do interviews that i go oh my god i'm so lucky yeah like, totally. i'm so lucky and um loving life at the moment yeah so that's good. that's quite good Liz, thank you so much for being our superhuman action hero. I've really enjoyed our chat. I've loved it. Thank yeah. you very much, lovely lady.